First, he was the $2 bill guy producing a documentary about, you guessed it, the $2 bill. But now he's back on the comedy front writing funny stories. And in his new fiction novel, Just a Typo, he tackles cancel culture. Shows us just how thin-skinned and easily offended the society is. Please welcome John Bernardo to Slasher Sports Cinema. They say that I have shed innocent blood. What's blood for is not for shedding. I'm the number one thing. We all go a little mad sometimes. God, it knows I'm here. And having to get you, Barbara. Johnny, welcome to the show. Hey, nice to meet you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, thank you for giving me your time. You know, we had a couple of hiccups the first time around. There was a calendar snafu on my end, and you were a little under the weather. Hope you're doing better today. Yeah, much better. A little sniffly. I got the tissue box nearby, but hopefully uh, you won't have to experience that during the show. I won't even cut it out if I have to. <laughs> yeah, it's well, fine. I'll, I'll just go right ahead and do what I got to do. Just do it. This is, a, this is a filthy podcast anyway, so that'll probably be the... The, the the least inappropriate thing that happens but and it will be scary too there's your slasher portion of the show right there that's right this thing is all about body fluids so you know <laughs> well i've got them for you if you need them <laughs> all right it's perfect well again welcome to the show i'm glad you're uh glad you're feeling better um and i do apologize about that snafu i you know what that was completely on me and um you know it's it's worth the wait though yeah, it's okay. You want to tell your audience what happened? Or you want me to tell them, or you just want to move on? <laughs> well, you know, let, let's let's move on. I, okay, I'm, yeah. I'm embarrassed enough. This All is, right. you know, this is a shameful show to be on anyway. So, um, I want to protect the the audience that we still have left over. Right. Um, right. <laughs> so I've had you know numerous people on from directors to actors to voice artists. Um, never had a documentarian. Uh, who's done a documentary on a $2 bill. And you won't ever again. I, I probably me, I won't think. ever again. But, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't call myself a doc. I mean, people re- introduced me like you did as a documentary, and I don't think that's my career. Like, I don't think anybody should refer to me. I, I'm someone who made a documentary. I've actually made three, two shorts, which nobody's seen, just little fil- film festival things I did, little side projects. Uh, and then one feature film, which turned out to be a big deal because a lot of people are interested in the $2 bill, a lot more than I thought. And I had thought it was going to be a quirky little 30-minute thing with a little history and you know hidden cameras of spending them at 7-Eleven. Turned out there's so much amazing history and superstition, and I can go on and on, enough to fill 100 minutes um, tightly with stuff that I couldn't get in the movie. And so that was a documentary that I made and I'm extremely proud of. And it's got a YouTube channel that spawned all sorts of other videos, and there's a lot of followers um, here that you get the trailer going. Had to go to the Mint and film them actually making $2 bills uh, at the Bureau of Engraving and Printing in Fort Worth, Texas. Great experience, great film, and um, I'm really proud of it. But yeah, I'm, a, I'm mostly a writer. We'll get to that. But um, I'm a documentarian 
for this, not for pretty much anything else, not anywhere else. But it's an interesting subject, you know, like growing up, the, the $2 bill was just, uh, it was a good luck thing. You hold on to it. You don't do anything else with it. What, what's so special about this damn $2 bill? Well, that's what I investigate. And the whole idea of the film came from the fact that right behind me, actually, in a drawer that I've had for a long time, I've got about, what, 12 or 13 $2 bills that I've accumulated, like you said, through the years, just as an eight-year-old, you get one here, and then you find one as a 10-year-old, and you think it's special, and so you keep it, you think it's worth money, so you keep it. And there was a day five, six years ago where I, I had done two short documentaries, and I pulled these $2 bills out, and I said, God, I got to do something with these. I don't know, but I don't want to spend them, so what can I do? And I said, oh, maybe I'll make a little documentary, and that's where I got this idea for this silly little short which once I started researching it, I did a, a Kickstarter and started raising money. People came out of the woodwork. People were calling me from all over the country. I've got $2 bills that have been on the moon. You'll see that here in the trailer in a second as it goes by. But uh, they are amazing. Uh, people just have a number of misconceptions about them. And I think what the film is ultimately about, if I can cut right to the chase, it's about connection for all these little anecdotes and things that have to do with them. When you spend a $2 bill, and I think a lot of your audience who've used one or seen one may have, have experienced this if you hand a cashier a two dollar bill there's something that happens between the two of you they go oh you know a two dollar bill and it's different than handing them a five or a ten uh, it's a conversation piece and then you're going to get remembered as the person that came into the store with two dollar bills and so and i've made some great friends who are people in the film who i otherwise would never have known and now are like close to me but people i stay in touch with through the film because we have this unique bond of loving this bill so families pass it down through generations and so it has this level of connectivity and nostalgia that no other piece of currency has and i think that's part of what makes it special i could go on and on and i, I do in the film but that's that's the gist of it and who did you talk to in this thing oh i interviewed about 70 people i mean there were there were some people who just uh, used them all the time just regular users i talked to people at the bureau of engraving and printing where i filmed them making them uh, talk to the gentleman who runs the website, uh, Where's George, which if you know, it's the one that tracks dollar bills, you can stamp it and then you send it out and people log it in and you can see where your bill has gone, but they have a big $2 bill following there. Um, got the guy that had him on the moon, collectors that have these rare bills. Uh, there was a woman who lost her husband in 9-11 and they positively identified him by the $2 bills when they found the wallet and talked to that woman. And that was a totally different kind of interview than other ones that I've done. Uh, it runs the gamut. I mean, I can't I'm not even scratching the surface of the 70 people that are in the film, but anybody who has a unique story about a $2 bill or a unique passion for it or, uh, you know, collects them or uses them a certain way, they're all in there. And that's why the movie is jam-packed, 100 minutes. And it was really hard to cut it down to 100 minutes. I had to leave some things out that I, I love. Uh, those are now on YouTube as separate videos. But uh, you'd be surprised. The, the word I tell people, if you watch the film, you'll be surprised. Let's put it that way. A hundred minutes on a $2 bill. I never would have thunk it. Neither did I. And it's jam packed. I mean, it's, I will compliment myself. It's well edited. It's concise. It's compact. It's, it flows very well. Um, and it just goes from subject to subject. And there's a common story thread that goes through the whole thing. So it's not just anecdote after anecdote. Like I said, I'm really proud of it. I think if uh, you or your audience takes a look at it, you will be surprised. And you will, I will take something. a look at it. Yeah, you'll we'll definitely learn it. something, and, and you might even gonna, grow an appreciation that you'll start using them. Well, I am going to link uh, that documentary into the episode bio here, so Great. listeners, by all means, check it out. Yeah, it's and, on and YouTube. you're right, though. 
the um the, the ha- handing anybody in any service industry a two dollar bill is going to result in uh, a funny conversation some may even look at you like you're handing them monopoly money that happens that's in the film too uh, guaranteed guaranteed and uh yeah i definitely wouldn't you know tip a stripper with a two dollar bill um well, let me interrupt you there. Um, you can watch the film on YouTube. The only thing you're missing if you watch the film on YouTube is there is a short sequence on strip clubs because they're extremely popular at strip clubs. There are some strip clubs that use them exclusively because um, if you're going to throw money on the stage and there are no $1 bills in the entire establishment and there are only twos, like a few places, girls are getting twice as much money. Um, so I took that out of the YouTube version because I, I generate ad revenue and I would have lost my ad revenue if I've got content like that. Sure. Uh, but if you purchased it or watched it for, I think it's $2 on Amazon, you know, watched it streaming, you'd see that scene. But if you watch it on YouTube, you won't see the stripper scene, but it is part of the $2 bill story. And, um, it's, they're used at several strip clubs across the country. Uh, one of which I visited and. And it's a whole nother story in itself. It was a vegan strip club in Portland, Oregon. They serve a vegan, vegan strip food. club. They serve vegan food. I know I laugh every time I tell the story because um, they, you know, I was in there like four o'clock before it got crowded so we could film and stage some stuff without a big crowd there. And they fed me, oh, he'll get you some food. And they just brought out this whole veggie plate. Um, how, how was that day shift uh, crowd? There was nobody there, but. At okay. eight o'clock, I mean, I hadn't been, I hadn't left yet at eight. We were still shooting interviews where the owner was late. And by eight o'clock when I was leaving, it was jam packed. I mean, jam packed. I was almost scared because I have like $4,000 of equipment I'm toting around and I got to call an Uber and I'm like in this place that's packed and going crazy. Like it's 1 a.m. It's eight o'clock at night. And I have to get from here to there and go through all the entire crowd holding a camera and a tripod and two lights, uh, girls walking around. I mean, it was, uh, it, I won't forget it anytime soon. It was a crazy scene at eight o'clock at a strip club. And they won't forget you either, John. Yes, they will. <laughs> if they even saw me, because they were all looking at the girl on the pole. <laughs> as, as well, they should. As You're well a handsome should. devil, but you know, there's no comparison to the, to the girl on stage. No, definitely not. Even though I'm carrying expensive equipment, not fortunate that the girl distracted people from what otherwise could have been a, a mugging, but uh, I got out of there. Okay. So YouTube would demonetize the video had you included that footage. They might have um, not demonetized it. They might have limited the monetization because the, the quote would be some advertisers do not want to you know, attach themselves to this content. Even though it's sure. two and a half minutes out of 100, it's still there. Uh, so I just figured let's just be safe. Let's just get it out of there. Um, this I put the film up on YouTube over COVID. I figured now everybody's stuck at home. They can go watch a film. And it's worked out. I mean, monetization-wise, it's done very well for me on, on YouTube. Well, I'm glad. Mostly because it's so long and there's like six ads throughout. And, you know, it makes a lot more money than the five-minute videos, which you get one ad. This one is kind of interrupted annoyingly by ads, but it works. Sure. You could throw in the fact that there are six ads in there, but you have to make it through those six ads in order to, you know, see all the content and get that revenue, right? So people are sticking around for that video. Yeah, the average runtime is a little short of half the film, but that's average. That means somebody watches the whole film, and then somebody maybe after 10 minutes decides they don't want to watch anymore. The ad, they decide to go turn it off. But it's it's all good. No complaints. Again, it's uh, getting a lot of of eyeballs on it. That's all we want as filmmakers is for people to see the film, and especially this one because it's an education. I mean, I, I... $2 bills are not rare. They're a regular part of currency. They have this connective bond, and I think people should use them. So it's my way of 
telling people that. And so the more people that watch it, the more the message gets out there too. It's not just about watching my work. It's, it's the message. Sure. You, you make the message important and they will come, you know, build it and they'll come. Yep, exactly. Fan, I mean, fantastic job though, John. And, but you, you know, we talk about the, the possible limiting of monetization on YouTube and at least they're not going to cancel you for it. No, they're not going to cancel me. No, nice segue, by the way. I like that. But uh, they're not going to cancel much. me anytime soon. Uh, maybe well, someday. It was the vegans that really put it in the mind because. You know, <laughs> That's right. You know, there, there seems like I'm not saying it's causation, but it's definitely correlation with uh, certain groups and cancellation of whomever the enemy may be. John, when did we get so thin skinned? I think we've been that way for a while because um, I got the idea to write the book several and now that we have twitch topics for those that don't know i have written a book about cancel culture uh comedic humor novel that's that riffs on celebrity and cancel culture and i i think as i was writing it there you go we should let that run turned his life upside down yeah let's take a look at now insulted citizens are calling for his head his (laughs) career's been canceled and he'll be spending a little time behind bars. And this is a fictional story. Can celebrity yes. Mo River Lake get his life back? Based on a true story. Find out in the new humor novel, Just a Typo, from author John Bernardo. Yeah, the Available irony of that is... on Amazon. It's fiction, but it's entirely plausible. And I think that's what makes it so enjoyable for people, because you can almost see it happening. A celebrity, B-level celebrity game show host sends out a tweet in support of the LGBTQ community. Something happens in the Supreme Court. And I can tell, I'm not giving much away here. He intends to say that some LGBTQ rights were taken away. And so he intends to be sensitive and say, uh, we should all have our flags at half mast today. And he has a typo. His thumb misses the L. So instead of saying we should all have our flags at half mast today, he says we should all have our fags at half mast today. So this goes out into the world and gets retweeted and, um, at that point now, he's a homophobe, right? That's it. In our culture today, you can't make a mistake like leaving the L out. And if you try to tell people that I accidentally, my finger missed the L or an auto, whatever happened, you're guilty. You're a homophobe. You're canceled. Correct. Um, there's no excuse. It's gonna, there's no apology that's going to work. Whatever you say happened is an excuse. This is the culture we live in, in my opinion. So what happens to the guy is now he's labeled a homophobe and a bad guy. And everything he's ever done in his life for the last 35 years gets dredged back up and insults every ethnicity and race so we kind of it's a story that starts with the tweet we see and then we go back and we learn how he became famous and got to be a game show host there's all these incidents along the way which are all innocent um none of them are malicious none of them are you know racist or anything but then once we catch up to real time and we see the tweet now that he is considered a bad guy every narrative is spun the thing that happened when he was on an airplane at 25 years old is now turned into a racial thing he hates hispanics he hates jews he Every organization, you can find something that he did in his past. And it's very funny because you can see it happening. I mean, you totally can imagine what would happen if we dug up, you know, old uh, Halloween costumes that were inappropriate, that we think are inappropriate now that weren't then. But by bringing up, oh, you wore an Indian costume back then? You you hate Native Americans. That's insensitive to Native Americans. No, it's just what I wore. You know, it was I was doing the village people back 20 years ago. Anyway, so that that's the gist of the idea, and it's uh, very funny. It's you know, I write a comedy. I think you should be laughing on every page. So there are there's humor throughout, great characters, 
And uh, I really enjoyed writing it. It's very funny. And it's like I said, it's not implausible. That's the crazy thing is I made it outrageous and absurd. But even in doing so, it can happen. I mean, it absolutely can happen. It's funny you brought up the looking into the past after the tweet, because it reminds me of, <clears throat> excuse me, that, that that finale episode of Seinfeld when mm -hmm. uh, they're on they're on the they're on the stand. <clears throat> And they're going back in time, revisiting all these encounters and seeing how shallow they really are. And it, 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 there's a bit of correlation there. Uh, but you're right, though. Um, I was just talking to somebody in, uh, in in the baseball world about that incident with the Colorado Rockies fan. Now, I don't know if you heard about that, but. There was a fan of a granddad had his grandkids with him at a Rockies game. I don't know why you'd subject your children to that, but that's that's horror enough, right? <laughs> that's horror enough. So, uh, but they're at a Rockies game and it's kind of quiet because there's nobody there. And he's yelling out something about dingers, you know. Uh, oh, I think I did hear this, but tell me what's the rest. I don't remember. Yeah. So it's basically you're picking it up on TV. And because you don't hear every sound, every enunciation, and this guy's like behind behind home plate, but off to the right a little bit if you're looking at home plate. And he's yelling across the way something about dingers, dingers. Well, yeah, it does sound a little bit like the N-word with a uh, hard right, R. That's what it was. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, there was no explanation was accepted. Absolutely no explanation was accepted, nor was it good enough. And it was it was so bad to the point that I had a conversation on Twitter with the guy. Uh, his name is Wilkins, Randy Wilkins. I'll name drop him. I don't give a damn. Randy Wilkins is the guy that did the documentary on Derek Jeter. And he went hard at this guy. And I said, Randy, it makes no sense. Why would you be in the middle of a ball game? yelling out the N-word with a hard R and nobody's turning their head towards you. I don't care how right, right. racist that cr that crew would be. Nobody would just look forward at the ball game. Right. They would, you were they somebody would, everybody would be that. like, yeah, exactly. They, they would yeah. be like, hey, that guy's going to start some trouble. Whether or not they're on the, the, the wrong side of it, they're still going to be like, hey, yeah, that guy's, he's starting some shit right now and we're, we're going to be in it. So... I don't know, man. Uh, it, it seems like there's always a witch to hunt. And when there's not, they're going to create a witch to hunt. Well, I think it comes from an insecurity uh, common, you know, not, not I'm judging myself here, too, that everybody has a common insecurity, um, which requires them to some degree subconsciously to bring other people down to feel better about yourself. So if you have something, especially in today's world where you can reach a million people with a tweet or something and criticize anybody you want from, you know, in your underwear while you're sitting at home at night, uh, I think if there's a, a means to get somebody, we just, it's unfortunate, but we go after people. That's just our nature. It, you know, we feel good attacking and criticizing when what we should be doing. I mean, this sounds all lovey-dovey. We should be loving each other and we should be supportive of each other and we should be helping each other. But we don't uh, have a culture like that. Our first instinct is to tear down, you know, we build up celebrities and sports heroes and we tear them down. Um, you know, I'm a dolphin fan here and it goes on with Tua Tungavailoa, who's, you know, everybody just tears him down constantly. And now they're building them up and they're going to tear him back down the first time he throws a couple interceptions again. But 
it's just our, our, our way, I think. And I think what the book touches on is that people who don't have anything better to do but to find a reason. In fact, there's a great segment in the book where um, one group who has yet to be offended is offended because they've yet to be offended. Like they've been excluded from being. Like why are we offended. not included? Right. So every and and I think there's also a line in there where people uh, he makes fun of. It doesn't really make fun of, but it gets interpreted as if he was making fun of um, you know lower class people who are on food stamps. So then sure. there are people who are applying for food stamps just so that they can join that group and have something to be upset about. And you know that kind of thing makes me laugh when I put it in the book uh, because I think that's our culture. Like it's not. Well, so you know, I'm going to go. I'm going to go get food stamps. So that I can be part of this group that he makes fun of, and then I can be angry. I have a reason I can be angry. I can't right now, but if I go get food stamps, I can be in this lower class of people that he's uh, criticizing, and then I can be angry. So that's the that's where I I believe people are is where everybody wants to bring down, criticize, nail to the cross, or what have you. And they want to be part of a tribe. Exactly. Yeah, that's a big part of it. If the tribe yeah, is big, doing it, they want to. Yeah, it, it. it's tribal um, tribal politics, identity politics. Um, you know, but the, the thing about, you know, getting uh, food stamps just so they could be offended by something that's not so absurd. No. And that's, that's, that's the point I was making earlier is that, um, it, it could happen. I mean, I could almost see it happening. I could almost see somebody who's a borderline away from food stamps. You know, I collected, I got them once or, you know, maybe I'll get them back again. And then I can say, look, these are my food stamps. Are you making fun of me? So that's, that's how it works. Well, people invent afflictions every day to be part of that online social media tribe um, and, and be part of that marginalized group. And a lot of times it's an invisible affliction. Right. Because then you don't have to really prove it. Right. Yeah, so, so I'm not wrong. What I'm writing is, is just it's my view of society and people might disagree with it, um, but. Oh, Again, they will. My book, <laughs> you know, like, you want to be angry with me. You can be angry with me. You can take issue with me. But this is my belief. And this is what I put into these characters in the story. And I think if you, you know, it's done with a grain of salt. It's fun. It's not supposed to be a, a it is a social commentary, but it's a satire. Sure. So sure. It's not to be taken seriously. All, like I said, it is possible this could happen, but it doesn't mean I think it would. And I certainly hope for this character's sake, it never happened to anybody else, but it's just a, a, a Good time. It's a great read, fun read. And the audiobook is out now. That got finished in the last couple of weeks. So uh, if you prefer Who narrating, uh, I found a guy. Um, it's a local, not local. He's actually a nationally syndicated radio DJ based in New York. He had a show that was on a local station here. They ended up getting fired, actually. And now they're on their own podcast because they wouldn't do. The reason why they got fired is another. It's, it's an instance of. Uh, just they shouldn't have got fired. That's a whole other story. Well, but they canceled it is what happened. Yeah, well, they they they, they didn't want to adhere to some silly request or something. Um, I think they had done a podcast on their own and they they ran it over Thanksgiving and then they were not allowed to like do their their shtick anywhere else but on the on that show. So it's a borderline copyright type thing. Yeah, like, you can't do this. This is we we own the property of whatever you do on the show. So if you take your show to um what's the uh, Patreon. If you do a Patreon show for paid subscribers, you're basically doing what we're trying to do. And, and they got fired anyway. So then they started their own podcast, which is already we're doing on Patreon. I heard him in the car one day driving to work and I was looking for an audio narrator, I had this segment. He said, I God, I would love to be an audio book narrator. And I was like, wow, ding. Cause his voice was perfect. And he played dumb really well when he did certain bits. So he had that nice balance of understanding sarcasm and humor. And long story short, I texted the show and I said, 
hey, I heard you want to be an audiobook narrator. I have a book I'm looking for a narrator. And he came on board and did it. He did a really good job. Well, I feel is like a lot of times food. that this is all like attention starvation because it's so selective and it really depends on, you know, who's making the joke. Uh, but I think the Will Smith situation really set comedy back or at least tried to with this issue with Chris Rock. Um, you know, it created this narrative that there's a subset or protected community. Um, if the population, you know, you best not mess with. And I'm not really down with that. Like nothing is sacred in comedy. And I was told that by very few good friends, of course they're in comedy. So, you know, really um, benefits them for that to be true, but jokes are jokes. And, you know, a big problem I had was that Chris Rock can't make fun of Jada, but a comic like Zhao Ying Summers on 9-11 can make 9-11 jokes. Someone who immigrated to the United States wasn't even born here, but immigrated. And she is more than welcome. I love the fact that she's here. Um, you know, my my child's mom immigrated here. So I listen, I've never voted uh uh, conservatively in my life. Um, and, you know, I, I don't want to argue that. I don't want to argue politics. But just to let you know where I'm coming from, uh, I'm not one of those, you know, build the wall people. I'm, you know, tear down the wall kind of, kind of a guy, you know. But she sat on these 9 11 jokes all year long and, you know, strategically dropped the joke on the anniversary of the attack. And it's applauded and laughed at. Like on the very day those buildings fell. And I think Zhao Ying is a hilarious lady. She is, she's, it, I love hearing her comedy. But I thought that when she made that joke, like what a backwards thing we have going on here. Like a man cracks a joke on one woman for having short hair. And like he gets a lot of his own demographic turning against him. But, you know, thousands of people who are no longer with us get joked on by someone who sought out the United States to live in. So that it's just wild stuff to me, John. Like, why is this outrage so selective? Well, I think, you know, I don't even think that what you know, Chris Rock said about Jada is bad. I mean, it never crossed my mind that, oh, my goodness, that you crossed. The line. That's just a husband reacting, a husband who was already losing his wife. You know, they were already having their, you know, he, he just decided at that moment for whatever reason that he had to be a man and show her something. I think he was well, it's the look that she gave him, too. Yeah, like, he, he was, was he was laughing at first. And then, yeah, you know, exactly. he looks over at her and she's mm, and then he gets up and says, nah, I'm not going home to this. Funny. It was funny. I mean, it's, you know, it's not even, so you have short hair and you do look like. It, it was a Jane. dated joke though. Like who really remembers GI Jane other than uh, Demi Moore fans, but still. Well, I, I, mean, I remember the film. I mean, I never even saw it, but I remember that. I didn't think that was that bad. Um, no, it was and not I'm one bad. of these people. I, I like to push the envelope. I mean, I go, go for it. You would just. In fact, it's funny when you were talking, uh, Jeff Zucker, I believe it was Jeff Zucker, because there were two Zuckers, the guys that made Airplane movie, the movie Airplane, uh, a bunch of other great movies. He just made a comment in the last week. I probably should have saved it. I saw it somewhere in something I was reading where he basically said comedy is dying because everybody's afraid to offend the, the 9% of the people who would be offended by certain jokes. Like you can't even tell a certain joke anymore because that small, less than 10% of the people who will take offense it's too scary. You, you can't put it out there because those 10%, those 9% are going to freak out and there's going to be backlash. And he basically said comedy is dying. And I, I agree. Like you have, and in fact, it's in my book. I mean, that's, um, I, I think there's a line, I'm trying to think of the context, but basically he said the comedians after this guy got canceled for what he did, 
comedians stopped telling that there was no more Tonight Show, like they canceled all the late night show. I mean, this is the extreme that the world came to soon after the, the tweet went viral and everything went bad. Comedians, there's no more sitcoms on TV. There's no more late night shows. Like you can't, nobody can tell a joke. And that's the extreme. But it's, again, it's entirely plausible. I mean, if you're not allowed to tell a joke because you might offend somebody sitting in Missouri um, who's just doesn't have a sense of humor, where, where are we? I mean, we, you can't make a joke. I mean, like we, Mel Brooks wouldn't have a career. Like we, I know you talk about movies that Kenner couldn't be. Mel Brooks always comes to mind because for Christ's sake, he did springtime for Hitler in the yeah. producers. Could you imagine if he tried to put that on an audience today? The guy would be so canceled. First of all, it wouldn't get made. Second of all, if, he, if it did squeak it through the system, even if it went viral on YouTube or some private channel, he would be so destroyed. And all of Mel Brooks's um, humor is insensitive. But it's Absolute not genius. because it's, 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 yeah, it's not insensitive, in my opinion, because it's funny and everybody knows he doesn't, he's not a racist. And he makes fun of Jewish people. He's Jewish. I, yeah, I think it's hypersensitive, if, if anything. It's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the kind of awareness you want making jokes to bring things to light is what it was really all about. Not to punch down, but to help those who can't punch up, punch upward. So I don't know. It's, it's wild. It's a wild dynamic that we have. And I think it's gotten so much worse uh, since the, uh, since the invention of social media. Yeah. I think everybody has a platform to anonymously comment and criticize and bring down. I now have the ability to criticize anybody in the world who says something I don't like. All I got to do is go on Twitter and say, you know, I hate this person. This person's a jerk and hit send and it's out there. And if they're part of the wrong uh, tribe, then you're seen as insensitive. You could you could agree with 95 percent of the things they say. If you those five percent that you don't agree with, that makes you insensitive to the issue. And yep. you're, you're always wrong and you can't make a joke about something. And that's just wild. But why did you make the, the protagonist or I, I don't even know if he's the protagonist at this point. Why did you make the main character of, of this book a game show host? That's a good question. And I've who did you model several, that after? Like a, uh, you know, every every character, I think any writer will tell you that almost every character is a little bit of you in a different form, because as a writer, you're acting like the girl, Lexi, you're acting like the game show host, you're acting like the best friend. So you put yourself into it some way. In fact, there were qualities that I wanted to put into the main character that I couldn't fit into the main character. So I gave them to another character. Like if you read the book, Lexi, the girl, the co-host of the show, she's a total grammar Nazi. I got to be careful even saying grammar Nazi because I just used the word Nazi that might offend somebody. But Well, I got a librarian friend that's going to be really pissed off at you now. Yeah, well, don't let her, don't, don't tell her not to watch this show. But no, but he, I wanted to have my main character because I'm a, I'm a grammar Nazi. I mean, I like, I hate when I see people who don't know how to use apostrophes and I have to resist tweeting at them saying, uh, you know, that's wrong. But um, anyway, but I wanted to put that in my main character and I couldn't. So the point is every, every character is a little bit of me, but why he's a game show host. I've been on uh, several game shows. I've been on wheel of fortune. I've been on the old Scrabble with Chuck Woolery. And I just, I kind of wanted a B level celebrity and I know the game show world. So it was e- easy for me to write, you know, that character because I, I know what it's like to be on the set and, and I've been on TV sets cause I worked in the industry. So yeah, plus I had a, an idea for the stupidest game show idea ever. And so I said, well, wouldn't it be great if he just hosted this show that I came up with and now I can have fun with this show. It's called hats off to game. So I'm not going to tell you more about it, but it makes me laugh when I think about it. So it's, I, it's hard to really say, but I just, that's what I felt he was. He's not a movie star. He's just a, you know, he's just some guy who's a game game show host aren't really, celebrities i mean they are like hell they're not 
Yeah, they're not. There's no Tom Cruise of the game show world. They're just the Pat Sajak's like the most and Alex Trebek who ventured yeah. out and did some TV shows. But, you know, I just wanted somebody who like you wouldn't know unless you watch the game show network and you saw him on the show. But he thinks he's a celebrity. And that's part of the fun of it, too, is he's got this ego about him and just doesn't get it. Um, so, yeah, that that's the answer to the question. I just have experience with game shows and I had a silly idea for a game show. So I was able to just boil all that into this guy. Alex Trebek was at a WrestleMania. Tom Cruise was never once at a WrestleMania. So yeah. Trebek was I, cool. He 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 got the, he got it. Like he knew where his place was and had fun with it and milk. And it. that voice is just iconic, was yeah. it not? Like when he did the Cheers episode where Cliff Clavin goes on the show, and then later on he shows up at the bar and he, he tells Cliff, you know, he makes him feel better. And then Sam says, "Wow, that was really nice." He goes, "I just came in here for a beer. I didn't realize." Cliff was going to be here. I mean, it was really <laughs> this is fantastic. It was so straight. Yeah, he just did it so well. How can you not like the guy? So, okay. So growing up, well, or maybe not even growing up, but what was your, your go-to game show? Well, Wheel of Fortune was one of them. I'm, I'm good with words. I mean, obviously, as a writer, I mean, I would hope I'm good with words. So uh, you give me two, three letters, I could solve almost any puzzle. So Wheel of Fortune, I'm not a Jeopardy guy because I don't know trivia. Uh, there were other game shows like Scrabble with Chuck Woolery, which some of you may remember and some may not. And then I, there was a period where I, I actually am a cancer survivor. It's a whole other story. But I was in the hospital for five months when I had a knee replacement done through osteogenic sarcoma. And I basically, you know, your day, went, especially back in the mid-80s, is turn the TV on. There's no, you, there's no phone to play on. There's no internet. So, you know, you wake up, they do your blood pressure, you turn the TV on, and you have game shows from like 9 to 1. You know, Price is Right was always at 11. And you can, I can almost recite the, the shows because you got nothing to do but watch TV for three hours. So I would go through the game shows that were on every morning. There was what Sale of the Century. Uh, but yeah, I would say Wheel of Fortune, Scrabble, any of the game shows I went on. The word games were always my favorite. Card Sharks was one of them I watched. I don't know if you're, that rings a bell with anybody, but uh, I just love the idea of playing games. I'm a, I'm a game. I'm not a computer game person as much as a board game and and you know, just show me two people competing for cash and prizes, and I'm usually in as long as it's not stupid. I was addicted to Hollywood Squares. <laughs> yeah, that. But okay, but the problem with that one is, like, I would never go on that show because what's the skill set? Just you have to hope you can be smart enough to agree or disagree. Like, I know I can solve a puzzle with a couple of letters. I can beat the people that are next to me. I have no idea if I go on Hollywood Squares what they're going to ask me. I don't know how you prepare for that show. I, mean, I don't prepare? think you do. I think you just no, you hope just the celebrities up. aren't, you know, blowing smoke up your ass. But Gilbert Godfrey, Louis, Louis Anderson, Joan Rivers. Yeah. I don't care what anybody says. Joan Rivers would slay today's female comedians. It just joke for joke. Yeah. There was a time where she and actually Whoopi Goldberg, too, when she was a stand up comic. Right. She was on that. Um, you look at, look at those, uh, what, what was that, that giant convention they had? Um, not live aid. What was the, uh, comic relief? Comic relief. Yeah. With, uh, Com- Robin, Goldberg, Williams, Robin Williams, Billy Crystal. Crystal, uh, like that whole troop of guys that was elite level comedy. And like, you would see a lot of those guys on, on Hollywood squares and it was just amazing. I, yeah. I, as a child, listen, I was born in 82. Okay. So that's, you know, there's probably at least five years between us. Well, um, I've got a little more than that. And I, I remember gonna, the days. We're going to say five. You know who Paul, Paul Lynn, you know who Paul Lynn is? Yeah. Paul Lynn used to be the center square all the time. 
uh, or at least not the center square. He was a given. He was the funniest guy on the show, and people would just go to his square right away, and he had the funniest answer. You could YouTube, uh, you know, you could type Paul Lynn Hollywood Squares, and you'll get all his all his answer, which is what's great about nostalgia. You can go back and watch those shows. Just... It's funny you say that because I do YouTube Hollywood Squares episodes. Because okay. to me, there's no better um, no better version of comedy than ad lib comedy. That's not ad lib, though. I'll tell you that right now. I get a little secret. That stuff. I know they probably have some kind of uh, like stuck in their back pocket, and they probably. I think they're fed the questions in advance. To be honest, you think they're fed the questions? Yeah, because they just burst my bubble. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I'm gonna research that, but I'm pretty sure. (laughs) I'm pretty sure. But it uh, it does put forth the 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 illusion of shooting from the hip. Yeah, and like I appreciate a a comic who can go on a show and at least be perceived to be shooting from the hit. And like, that's just what I kind of pride myself on. I'm not the best at it. So I'm not a comic. That's why I host people instead of, you know, be the, be the guest. But yeah, that, that type of comedy just, it really did it for me. And I I grew up on, uh, you know, the Carol Burnett show and yeah, I love that. My goodness. And those are all on YouTube now too, with Tim Conway and Harvey Corman. Listen, my dad, um, bless him he was manic depressive okay and a big part that people probably overlook when it comes to depression is senseless spending of money okay that, that's like a one of those weird side effects that's like well what's that have to do so with it's anything? a drug that keeps them going yeah yeah so if he happened to like get off his meds for whatever reason and I'll be damned if a Time Life commercial <laughs> comes across the TV. Whatever they're selling, he's buying. Oh. And yeah, so I would get that, uh, you know, Dean Martin comedy roast and yeah, uh, your and the the variety show. What was it called? The whatever it was. Laughing. I'm, I'm thinking like the you know, the Dean Martin. There was the Dean Martin comedy roast, and there was the Dean Martin variety hour or something like that. And then there was the Johnny Cash one. And there was like the uh, the entire catalog of Gunsmoke. It was like the the dumbest you know things, but there were he would always end up sending it back because like well, why the hell did I buy this? Like I, I got to stay on my meds. But he ended up keeping that Dean Martin and and the Carol Burnett uh, box sets, and it was just the best thing ever. Like it still the, is the gift. That it it really gift. still is. Go it on, was uh, everything's on YouTube. You just go pick. You know what the Harvey Corman one where Tim Conway's the dentist. Like it seems like once a year for whatever reason I'll think of it and I'll go watch it and I'll sit there and crack up. And then it just takes me down this uh, this hole of of just next thing you know I'm an hour and a half watching old Carol Burnett clips. You know, <laughs> wasted my entire Saturday afternoon uh, watching old Carol Burnett clips. Oh, that doesn't sound wasted to me, John. Did no, it you? Does, yeah. uh, do you ever get worried that maybe people are going to be offended by your novel and like, Oh, that was a strong consideration. First of all, I don't think I'm, I'm not famous. I'm not popular enough to, to be canceled. I mean, if someone cancels me, that's no different than just not knowing who I am. <laughs> so yeah, I worried about that because the, the main character, I mean, basically look, he, he offends everybody. And in order to offend everybody, there has to be a reason for those groups. Even if it's the, you know, like I said, he hasn't done anything actually wrong, but you have to have him do things that could be interpreted as offensive. And for them to be interpreted as offensive, they're out there. Um, stereotype, I had to play off every single stereotype. I had to, you know, Asians, the way they speak and, you know, and, and everything. And so you're like, God, you know, I mean, this, this could be offensive to somebody. But I, 
I just think that if, and actually the line I've used to tell people like yourself, other podcasters that I've been on, if you're offended by the book, you're making my point for me. That's really what it boils down to. If, if you're going to be offended by what this guy's doing and how everybody, it's, it's just a story about a guy who does certain things and the way people react does not mean it's my opinion. It's not sure. my, I mean, it's not my opinion how they react, but it's not my opinion that Jews are this or blacks are that, or, you know, Catholics are this. It's just what I'm presenting to you as an example of how people respond. So I don't think I offended. Exist. Yeah. I don't think I offended anybody by laying out the stereotypes we all know. And if you know the stereotype enough to get offended about it, then you're aware that it's a stereotype that can offend people. You can't get mad at me for that. I didn't come up with the idea that, you know, uh, this group likes doing this or is known for this. I'm not even going to give you an example because I don't want to throw it out there. But so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure people might get offended, but you know what? If you don't like it, put the, close the book, put it down and it's over. But secondly, you're making my point for me. If you're going to be offended by a book in which I'm trying to demonstrate how people can be so easily offended by the most innocent of things, then you are doing the exact same thing that the people in the book are doing. So I don't really worry about it. Um, like I said, if I was, if this was my 12th book and I was a Stephen King and uh, I wrote a book about offending people and now I have a, you know 5 million readers who are going to read it and maybe get upset, maybe I would have thought twice about it, but I'm not there. So I'm just going to make you laugh. I mean, open the book and be ready to, to laugh on every page. And I hope that people do. And I know they will if they read it, but that's the goal. Read it, have fun with it, and you know that you got a big kick out of it. Well, let's be clear. The people who are going to be offended are not the people that you are specifying. Targeting. Yeah. 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 It, it's not going to be those people. It's going to be the people who are offended by everything or some sort of social influencer with a platform that revolves around being offended by things. Yeah, and those people will see themselves in the book. They'll probably get mad at me because they know that I'm actually making fun of them. And that's why they would be offended, maybe, because I'm showing what you are like because you get so easily offended. So if you're going to read the book and say, hey, that's kind of what I do. He's making fun of that. Uh, F him. Well, you can't you can't please all the people all the time, right? What's that expression? <laughs> you say? No, I don't that, write the book. It. I write the book to make people laugh to make me laugh, actually, you know, it's this great thing for me to write a book that I'm laughing at, but I want to make people laugh. If you don't like me, I can only control so much. I'll never make everybody in the world like me. You have people watching this show. Some of your audience may like me. Some of your audience may think I'm an obnoxious jerk at this point. I don't know. <laughs> I can't control it. All I could do is be me and let the chips fall where they may. Well, John, I like you. Okay. Oh, thanks. That's, like you that's really all that matters here. But before we get out of here, John, we got to let's run down a list real quick. Yeah. Um, I, I want to think about some some of my favorite uh, horror flicks. OK, because that's what we're here for. Horror. Yeah. And I wonder, could these could these flicks have been made today? And like, listen, the first one on the list is not a horror flick, but it is one I was curious uh, about your opinion. All right. Could these could these movies be made today? One blazing saddles. I think people have lost sight and I don't remember when it happened, but they've lost sight of what the word irreverent means. OK, and we're very aware the main characters are dirtbags, but that doesn't mean we can't like shake our heads and laugh, nor does it mean like we support the things happening in the film, uh, you know, to, to happen in real life, you know, much less uh, is, is the delivery. That's funny. And 100% of Blazing Saddles is freaking hilarious. Yeah. 
they could, they wouldn't make it today. Couldn't make it today because the race thing, the whole black sheriff, um, no way you get away with that. No way. The you get away only with that. thing I can think of that makes this work is the fact that Richard Pryor was a co-writer. Doesn't matter. I don't think people rationalized. The it's the characters on the scene TV, up where, right? You know, he, you know, they welcome our new, you know, they starts to say the N word and cuts that right there is going to get cut out of the movie. I mean, it's just not going to. And if it stays in the movie, someone's going to be offended that you went, you know, yeah. because you're referring to that person, you know, that the way the town perceives the guy is that he can't do the job because he's black, even though it's the 1800s that we've never had a black sheriff before. And it, that's exactly how it would have gone, albeit, you know, irreverently. No, it wouldn't pass. We're just we're too sensitive. So my answer is no. And there's too many other scenes. There's too much racial overtones in that film that it would. And that's we talked about Mel Brooks earlier. I don't think a lot of Mel Brooks's comedy, um, as much as you and I like it, works today. I think there's going to be people banging on his door ready to cancel him if he if that movie came out today. So Sleepaway no. Camp. All right. It really toys with the Venn diagram of transgender people and insane people. And yeah. that's where you find Angela, the main character, who is, you know, both. But again, I don't think in 2023 you can vilify a transgender individual without there being another transgender individual who is a hero in the same story. Um, as soon as this film hits theaters, uh, there'd be outrage and anybody involved would be canceled. I think it doesn't get made either. That's a good point. Not to movie. I have I actually full disclosure for the audience. I have notes. You sent me these movies in advance so we could discuss them. And some of them I hadn't seen or didn't remember, or I just didn't remember much about. So I took a few notes so I could answer your questions intelligently. And I, I have not seen Sleepaway Camp, but I did read up on. I did not know the transgender issue was there. All I saw was that you know people go away to this camp and they don't come back. And um, for what I gathered from the film, I'd say you're sure you can make that today. Uh, because it's no different than any other horror movie. People show up somewhere and they die. I didn't get the truth. So my bad on that. I no, no, no. It, it's not even revealed until the final seconds. Oh, is that? Oh, because that's why I didn't know it because I didn't see it. It says there's this big twist at the end. Right. So I don't right. Even it's it's a huge twist because she's a little quiet girl at, at, at camp and she's bullied and people just start getting picked off left and right. And she and her cousin are there and he's always taken up for her. And they kind of play some camera tricks and like the silhouette of the killer looks a lot like the cousin, not her. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. And then at the end, uh, there's a boy who likes her and like she wants to meet him down at the beach. And so they could, you know, like look at the waves or whatever in the stars. And when they approach them, like she's rubbing his head, like it's in her lap. And yeah, her, his head is in her lap. Like the torso is like over there somewhere, but his head is in her lap and she's like rubbing it. She stands up and like, it's a boy's body with the penis and her face. And like, there's a, this iconic look on like her face, like a mouth wide open. She's insane and she's completely snapped. And of course, you know, Angela having a penis means, you know, a few things that we saw earlier in the cold open, but you just can't vilify a transgender individual in 2022 yeah, so or my 2023. Is they would remake it, but they would change the ending. There you go. Cannibal it. Holocaust, John. This is probably one I'd be fine with not being made ever. Um, okay, this is one where the documentary least... crew disappears um, mm -hmm. when they're hunting the cannibals, and then another crew goes out and finds the footage and looks at the two reels. In fact, they I think they duped the audience. They told the actors, if I'm not mistaken, to disappear for a year so they could actually make people believe that the documentary crew was dead like it was and then the director film. get like accused of murder and he had to like find the <laughs> actors and have them come back early to show up in court to prove they weren't murdered right 
Exactly. But here's the here's the thing. Like all that could still probably happen. That would probably be a great social media trick. It would be. I think it would be great. But you know, we got to keep that guy out of jail, whatever we do. But it's the fact that the animal harm in the film was actually legit. Okay, animals were brought to filming and they were killed for no other reason than the shock value for the film. And the director of the film, again, you said he was put on trial for murder uh, because people were so convinced. And I think the animal killings probably contributed to the fact that people believed the human killings were real. Because if he's going to do one, he's going to do the other. Exactly. His name is Ruggiero Deodato, okay, the director. Um, He had to know that was coming. So, you know, law officials had to dig up those people, like you said, and you know, say, hey, we're not dead. I mean, genius. But, you know, the animal murder, you know, makes none of it worth it to me. It is a, a highly uh, controversial, but also um, it's probably one of the most important films because it does something that nothing was doing. Excuse me. Nothing was doing before. And that's found footage. We didn't have found footage horror until the Blair Witch Project after after this uh, after Cannibal Holocaust. So there was a wide range of time there between the two films. It's a great concept, but I don't think they would make it today because some executive would say cannibalism change it. So it would be something different. It would be a documentary crew goes to spirit, you know, find some lost jewels or something, and they disappear, or make it very. Yeah, very clear they, that it's fiction. Yeah, well, but I don't even think, I just think people wouldn't go there. I just think people are not going to cannibalism. Just they go to find, it, it, that. this is how shallow the studio executives are. They're hunting for a lost gem and they disappear. And then when they sh- the crew shows up to look for them, they encounter the, either a tribe, it wouldn't even be a tribe because that could be offensive. It would be another group who got in there first, you know, um, native countrymen. And the you know, battle ensues, you know, and then the whole thing. When next thing you have an action ending, and you'd be satisfying the action crowd and the horror. This, that's it would, and it would be trash. So, and yeah, if they, they would, did find a tribe, like all the guys would be just chiseled, and the girls would be hot, and right, like, and there'd I'm, be a I'm soundtrack. Sure Zach Efron would play one of them. I don't know. Right. It'd be a big soundtrack. Know. Yeah. <laughs> so, Viano all right, would last be one singing the lead. Oh God! Last one. Be uh, no danger. Children at play. I always mix up these titles. Beware. Isn't children. it beware? Children at play. Is it beware or is it danger? I think it's be- well, you told me beware. I looked it up, and it's it is beware. But whatever, it's it's all good. I always uh, screw it up. It's it's one of the two. It's like when I mix up the cult and the cure. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, one. right up front, um, children at play is a pile of shit movie, John. <laughs> okay, it yeah. really is. There's not a single redeeming quality about it. Uh, the sole reason to watch it is the same reason it wouldn't get made today. I think uh, it happens in the last moments of the film, and like to set some backstory, all the children in town have turned into cold-blooded killers, not unlike Children of the Corn. Yeah, uh, but the adults form a mob, they storm the kids, and they kill. And the kids. what we get is the biggest child massacre I think I've ever seen outside of War Casualty. And yeah, like the kill scenes no. aren't for the faint of heart, John. They're not. They are they're gruesome and they're poorly done. Very and poorly they're so done. Poorly, well, they're so poorly done in this film that they only appeal. I mean, I was laughing at the trailer because um you could, you know, you could know how special effects are done today and how they had to do them back then. And they're just so cheesy that they're almost funny. You want to watch it for the humor content. But yeah, killing kids, even if they're psychopathic, stealing kids, brainwashing kids, none of that stuff flies today, especially with you know um the sex trade, you know. 
you can't, I mean, you can do it in Taken with Liam Neeson. You can do it in with Ransom with Mel Gibson. You'll give me back my son. That's about as far as you can go with kidnapping a kid. If only if there's a hero going to get him back and they're going to love each other and hug each other at the end of the film. But kids getting brainwashed and turning into psychopathic killers who then get maimed and killed later on. No. And they are no. completely maimed, John. There's an I'm, impalement yeah. by a pitchfork. And, I saw it in the trailer, right? They, yeah. And, and the, the ax to the back. Then like the, the one kid in the Yankees ball cap gets his head exploded and he might've deserved it, John. I don't know. Yeah, well, the cut was funny because that's in the trailer. And, um, you know, there's a close-up of the kid, and then the next shot is a wide shot of the body and the head exploding. You know they just cut it or the, perfect. Well, they did a good job for what it's worth at the time, but it's just it was so funny. That the no, they, they didn't, did. John. <laughs> cut no, to the didn't. wide shot, and they blew up a fake head and a fake body, and it just looked, you know, it's okay, well, you know, did they get away with it? I guess maybe. At the time, but at the time, you know, I know how they did it. Everybody knows how they did it. It was just so. About that and time. it was an indie film, like no, no big studio handled this. Right, exactly. So. It's a bunch of guys setting up a dummy and dressing them up and blowing up a head and and cracking up and, and making it work the best they could and putting it out well, there, hoping they can well, get a cheap scare. Well, I always say that bad horror film is better than bad any other genre film. So that that's really the only saving grace there. But before we get out of here, John, tell everybody where they can find your book and uh, you on your socials. Yeah. So my book is called just a typo and it's on Amazon and it's also on Barnes and Noble and all those other places. But the book, the audio book is on audible, which is, I guess, part of Amazon. Cause if you go to Amazon and click on the book, it will give you a audio book button and that's audible. So I don't really know the difference. It's also on iTunes. So you can find the book anywhere. Just search just a typo. Uh, let's see my $2 bill channel. I think you said you're going to put a link. I mean, it's just, if you search the $2 bill documentary on YouTube or just do dollar sign two and the word bill and a bunch of videos come up, inevitably half of them are going to be mine. It'll say the $2 bill documentary. So you can click on there and get to the channel, subscribe. It's a lot of fun. And let's see my social. I've got a website, johnbernardo.com. You got to spell my name, right? I didn't type it the last name here on the screen, but it's B E N N A R D O. My Twitter, again, I don't know if you're going to put this up. Twitter and, and um, Instagram are jbenardo, J-B-E-N-N-A-R-D-O, 222, because I'm the $2 bill guy uh, at Instagram and Twitter. So that's everything where you can find me. I try to post. I don't post a lot, but I do some funny stuff. I post some commentary, and I usually follow back. So if you want to follow her, um, you know, and you actually mentioned to me that you saw me here, I will definitely follow you back. But plenty of places to read the book. Um, watch my videos and do all sorts of stuff like that. And I appreciate the opportunity to share all that. John, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate the time you've given me folks take a glance at the uh, episode description. You're going to find all of John's info, social media links, the links to his projects. So until next time, may we all drink the blood of our enemies from the skulls of their children.